Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Debatable with our hosts Nina and Kyle. I'm Kyle. And I'm Nina, and it's Halloween, so happy Halloween to all our listeners. Happy Halloween everyone. Um, So, what we've been doing lately, I- I'm sure you know, we've been organizing a tournament together. Uh, which is Yay! why, for this episode, we're going to be going a little bit off script, because we didn't honestly have time to develop some of our thoughts for this episode so that should serve as a disclaimer this is like blind reactions to everything mm-hmm. um yeah but we've been actually working hard on like getting some ideas for this episode for a very long time we just haven't had the time to organize them together but in general i have been watching a bunch of horror films in my f- free time actually during my brief respites from studying i just pop up some horror films like Dracula, Frankenstein, those classic ones where I can just admire the acting. <laughs> um, the acting. Yeah, and, and also I've been getting really into like those Baroque kinds of music with the church organs and stuff. So I've been watching that. Nina, I understand, has read a bunch of stuff related to horror, specifically the politics of the whole thing, but together... You know, I don't have enough time to read, and she's too much of a baby to watch really scary stuff. So together, we just watch, like, monster movies for kids. Yay! Like Scooby-Doo and stuff. Okay, in my defense, though, it's not that I hate horror. I used to love the genre. It's just recently, a lot of the horrors that have been uh, coming up have been mostly just pure shock factor. Um, not the horror I'm into. I like the the dread, the slow pace, and the existential horror. But uh, from my understanding, at least, I stopped watching horror around 2012 when a lot of it was just mostly gore. And the Final Fantasy series was just like on the rise and everyone was just dying all the time. That was the Final peg. Destination? Oh, sorry, Final Destination. Why, why did I say Final Fantasy? That's like a completely different thing altogether. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so we decided for this episode we might explore the politics of horror, understand what makes horror what it is for certain people, What what is it with fear that we're so fascinated by it as people. And why why do we why do we spend an entire day dedicated to celebrating fear? Yeah, but apparently Halloween was a, a very ancient tradition in in Europe where they wear costumes in order to ward off evil. But I think a nice theme here is like over time the meaning of the they changed and this is like a very common thing that you can see in many of our holidays because now it's not really seen so much as like scaring away evil but a lot of it is like this is the this is the day where this world meets the other or something like something similar to that where something supernatural might end up happening during halloween but anyway i understand that a lot of people just genuinely like horror because of the story. And you were talking about hating. You straight up hate it when horror movies just have no substance, no story at all. It's just like people being hurt, people being scared. Things are jumping at you, those kinds of things. So I imagine that 
a lot of people actually do like horror movies specifically for those things, for jump scares or for shock or horror or gore or something, because I feel like to them, it gives them a sense of catharsis. But for other people, what brings them to horror is just the quality of the storytelling that might be involved in it. Yet for other people, myself included, maybe it has something to do with like just horror-related media as somewhat of an art form where, like for example, I have watched so many horror movies that I can sort of predict when the next jump scare is going to happen. There's a certain rhythm to things. There's a certain sound design that a lot of these directors use a certain way of using the camera and those kinds of things. So maybe what draws people to horror might be the more general storytelling aspect, but it can also be like the cheap scares that draw people in, and that's perfectly valid in my opinion. I mean, of course it's valid. It's just my personal take on it. But like, it's interesting you noted how people get catharsis out of it. Because in my readings, I did encounter a lot of different ways that you could see people enjoying horror for. So you already mentioned one where they, they kind of like getting scared. They like being sort of like a, an observer to the pain of others because they get like a third person perspective of it. This is considered voyeurism. Yeah. And it can be it can be pretty strange. Like some people think it's uh it's 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 weird for people to get enjoyment from third parties getting harmed like a schadenfreude sort of thing schadenfreude schadenfreude i i have seen it pronounced i've seen it pronounced different ways cuz my basis is the song schadenfreude oh. making me feel glad that i'm not you haven't you heard that song actually no my basis for how to pronounce that was an old episode of this legal drama where someone said the only way that you can convict this person is through schadenfreude. And I was like, oh, schadenfreude. And then I write it down in my notebook of debate terms that I can use, but I never used it ever in a debate. But some people, I have heard people use schadenfreude. And I was like, mm, I know that word. Yeah. So maybe maybe it's just like we're butchering it either way. Hello, this is Nina from The Editing Future. And I did a little bit of research on this, and I found the correct pronunciation. It's this one. Schadenfreude. That's besides the point. So that's one way people enjoy it, through voyeurism. Another would be, like, animalistic reasons. Like, they enjoy seeing the killer because the killer represents something they want to do. So I don't think a lot of people subscribe to this reason for liking horror. At least I hope not a lot of people do. That's not why you like horror, right? No, I mean, I get it. I get the the theory, but it's not probably not as intense as they imagine themselves in the position of the killer. I think it's more like somewhat of a power fantasy sometimes where you see like a supernatural being or like Freddy Krueger and then you see him enter into walls, enter into your dreams, and then you go like, Man, that seems like it's such a cool power, right? So I think even though it is you putting yourself in the shoes of the villain or something, it's not necessarily super sinister, I suppose. At least oh, when I when I watch Nightmare on Elm Street, 
I don't go like, mm, yeah, I really want to hurt someone. Or I think it's the same with violent video games where I, I play it, but then like in real life, I would literally never hurt a fly. I mean, even that's debatable, that example you use, because there's also a really big debate surrounding video games, so we can't be sure. But yeah, I guess I get definitely. I get what you mean. Like it's just a power fantasy, whatever. But Freud would disagree with you. Freud would say it's some deeper meaning, some repression going on, and that's why we like horror. Yeah, but Freud is kind of ridiculous sometimes, cause like, you know, like the Oedipus complex where you have mommy issues. Yeah. Like if if you have dreams about romantic dreams or sexual dreams about your mom, Freud would say, "Oh, then you must have Oedipus complex." But if you don't have them, Freud would say, "Oh, you have Oedipus complex. It's just that you're doing a good job at repressing it." So like, regardless of whether or not you do or do not have dreams about your mom, Freud would say, my theory still applies to you. And that's why I think he's kind of ridiculous because there's literally no way to disprove him. He might as well be... Ben might Shapiro. As well, <laughs> might as well be Ben Shapiro. I was thinking like he might as well be like a priest or something or a cultist because some philosophers argue that that's exactly how pseudoscience works. That's how you know, religion works as well. Well, Um, okay, yeah. Okay, let's go back. Let's go back to the topic. You're the one who keeps digressing here. (laughs) Yeah, but at least, like, I have... (laughs) I have developed the skill to realize, Mm -hmm. oh, man, I digressed so much. I mean, we've come a long way. I've come a long way. Uh I mean, I still embrace the tangent. Okay, okay, see, you're doing it again. (laughs) You're doing it again. Uh, So, besides animalistic tendency, um, there's also the mindset that some people just enjoy seeing themselves in the main character, in the victim sort of way. Like a very masochistic sort of point of view. Yeah, but like, I have a feeling that it sounds disturbing, like, I want to be a victim. And you can you can almost feel Republicans and conservatives go like, oh, victimization! And then you're like, no, that's not really what that means. It's more of, you want to put yourself in the shoes of someone who is in danger so that you can either understand these people more or face your fears. So I think it's not just people wanting to be the victim. It's more people wanting to feel like there is a way out of things that make them anxious, right? It's the idea that if you watch a horror film, it's a real anxiety that you can explore, but it's still a relatively safe or a relatively controlled space in the in the media that you're consuming. Because it's either you watch and confront your fears, or you can close the book, or you can close your eyes. And either way, the piece of art that you're consuming will pass. You can ignore it, right? But you will still be there in one piece. Yeah. So some people use movies as really a, as an escape from all the real horrors you're facing. Like, Kyle, I'm very surprised you take your break from law school to engage in another form of horror. Like, that's kind of ridiculous if you explain it to someone else. But for you, it makes sense. Because horror is something you can't control. It's predictable. There's formulas for most of it. And then after that, you go back to your real-life horror that is school. Yeah, I'm actually thinking of, like, there is... So much 
terror and horror that you can find just in a school setting. Mm. And that's the reason why there there is an entire subgenre of those kinds of movies. A lot of horror tropes and horror plots are actually inspired by real-life political situations or social situations. So you'd be surprised to learn that a lot of classic movies were actually forms of subversion. It utilized fear and showed you things that you are to fear, but just personified it in ways that might like seem much more real to us. For example, the threat of terrorism isn't that scary until you find a way to like visualize it in the screen or nuclear war isn't realistic until it's in the form of Godzilla and suddenly you know what the threat is or what to face. Um, Classic movies have done this all the time. So Psycho, for example, was a critique on um, the middle class American life. It was also a critique on overbearing motherhood, some would say. Saw, surprisingly, was a critique on torture because when it was being created, there was a big debate in the U.S. about torturing terrorists because it was in the height after 9-11. So a lot of movies, even uh, there's a resurgence of this trend actually in recent years where you see movies like Get Out and Us and mostly the Peel movies, I would say, have been more social. so great. Like, you watch him in Key and Peel and then he, he does this like, really great comedy act and then he directs these really fucked up films and then you go like hmm i almost can't believe this huge shift in in like in in creative interest from jordan peele but anyway i think it's interesting that you're saying that it's an escape because if it is an escape for people why is it that they go into horror movies that sort of reflect or represent more real life um, social anxieties and I feel like another side to it might be not escaping from it but confronting it in a way that is safer or exploring a fear that other people may have but you don't yet understand so I, I get this from Get Out because in that movie there were lots of first person point of view shots and then that was the very first time watching a movie where I feel like I got to experience firsthand what it would feel like somewhat. Like, I wouldn't go so far as to say I perfectly understand, like, the experience of a black person experiencing racism, but I feel like it sort of approximates the fear, that discrimination, where you're just walking around, not even doing anything, but then a lot of these white people are looking at you very weirdly, and you can't put your finger on it but it is creeping you out so it was only during that time where like the camera allowed me to possess this this person where i I got the sense like oh god racism is it's truly terrifying like you read about it and it's terrifying but it's an entire thing altogether if you feel it and like i can't say that i've actually felt that level of discrimination but at least the art helps me bridge that gap of feeling so maybe a lot of people do like it because it helps them experience things from a new perspective as well and experience different sides of that issue so maybe in Seoul if you like just read stuff in about what happens in Guantanamo Bay you'd be like 
depending on who you are like if you if you were like a republican you'd probably be like well they're terrorists what you gotta do but more likely you're gonna be like oh man that's kind of rough but then you watch movies like saw that place you in the position or like it lets you inhabit the body of um, a protagonist who's actually going through that kind of torture and you go like mm, mm, no this is worse than rough buddy like this is not what i signed up for yeah so i i find that fascinating but at the same time uh, i'm not fully on board with the full gives people an ability to empathize angle of yours especially since there are a lot of slasher films and shock dependent films for example that just really victimize women not to make men feel bad but because i think your earlier um, definition of things apply more which is that sometimes it's a power fantasy or i don't know i just feel like it's an excuse as well for directors at times to dress women up in a very slutty manner or have them die in a gruesome way with their legs exposed in very promiscuous angles that doesn't really make sense in the greater scheme of things so it's it's very surprising that um, as much as some directors do their best to really portray a message and use metaphors properly there are a lot of times where they don't use metaphors anymore for what they're intended for they just kind of use metaphors as like very lazy shortcuts or metaphors to pretend that there is a point to their horror films besides just being a glorified slasher or glorified version of gore well there there is a defense to that um so like i would agree with you that in a lot of these movies especially the ones that you dislike the most there seem to be like a lot of scantily clad women or women in the shower and that's where they're attacked Mm -hmm. but like i also feel like the reason why it's scary is also just the feeling that this could happen to you at your most vulnerable and i i do get the sense that a lot of women do feel that same kind of fear when they put themselves into like vulnerable positions not that i when when do women not feel that fear you know like there's no added value anymore to women and i think that's the weird assumption men make all the time like oh if she's naked suddenly her fear rises like no we're naked not naked our chances of getting killed and raped at least in my perspective of living in this world for a really long time just remains the same you know yeah, which is why I, I feel like there might be a defense to it, but I still feel like it's unfortunate that a lot of the marketing surrounding these films highlight like these really attractive women. So if if you watch like Jennifer's Body, it was really like a subversive film where we talk about like gender roles and like how moral or immoral you would be um, depending on how much sex you have, which is a complete subversion of the trope of classic horror films where only the virgin survives and the the peop- the women who have had sex just straight up die. Um, in Jennifer's Body, you have Jennifer, played by Megan Fox, who 
was not a virgin, but she found herself in a situation surrounded by like really sketchy dudes. So she was like, oh, I'm a virgin. Because from the movies, it seemed like if you proclaim yourself to be a virgin, you're going to survive. Yeah. But then the movie says, no, that doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Actually, men are going to take advantage of you and harm you either way. So I feel like that's a kind of subversion that was buried under the marketing of that movie where it just highlighted on how hot or attractive Megan Fox was. And I guess that's the problem with a lot of horror movies. So there might be meanings behind it, but like directors and marketing teams don't always coordinate on that. And I guess the reason for this would be death of the author, right? Because the problem with metaphors would really be the fact that you might have one intention for it, but it could easily be subverted by any other group to mean something else. And interestingly enough, in politics, this happens a lot. So, like, politicians always use metaphors. We might not be aware of it, but they've been using fear since the very beginning to control our lives and basically control how we end up voting. The term zombie politics, when you look at, for example, zombie packs or zombie partnerships or zombie voters that suddenly are able to vote even if they're not really registered even in the philippines we have what we call like zombie recipients for the what was that the they gave out subsidies during quarantine there's a term for that i forgot yeah do you know like financial aid yeah, basically, like, there are a lot of suddenly dead individuals who received financial aid, and those were zombie recipients, because what local politicians would do would, they would list more residents than they were, so that they could pocket the money of the people that were already really dead. So, politicians have been using that a lot. Even lizard people was yeah, a Q-1 term on. created. Yeah, QAnon was making, like, this conspiracy theory that the entire government was run by lizard people and i just it's just ridiculous how many people actually believe that like i it's probably a fringe group but some at least some people genuinely believe like that lizard people actually exist i think the mo- most common um metaphor though would be devil woman which was used against hillary clinton it was used against Tulsi. it was also used against aoc so this is just to portray a problem, right? People like Trump and Republicans and other conservative individuals are anti-women individuals. Let's not exclude liberals here. They can be evil too. But basically, they use these terms to sort of rally people together and incite fear. Because trying to explain to them concepts that are too complicated or at least trying to explain their sexism, for example, is very complex because no one will buy it if they just said their sexism straight up. But if they had an excuse or they masked it behind the idea of a devil woman, then somehow it becomes much more justified to fight against it. Horror movies do the same thing. So there is a social issue they wish to face, like racism, for example, or capitalism in the case of us then 
it's it's hard to explain why we should be against racism, why we should be against capitalism, unless you are a well-versed individual. But giving it a face in a movie, or at least showing people what it looks like in practice, makes it much more like attainable. Of course, there's there's extents to this though. As I mentioned, I'm not okay with all portrayals of bad things just because it helps people understand it better, especially if can lead if it can lead to trauma or if it's completely unnecessary, like watching the same woman get raped multiple times in a span of a TV series, for example. Yeah, but I I also think like the thing about horror movies is they sometimes get metaphors. Um, that stereotype a bunch of different kinds of people. So, like, the same way that politicians create, like, labels saying, like, devil woman, um, because it's very difficult to just explain why Hillary Clinton's policies don't make sense, because they did make sense. So Mm -hmm. Trump was like, let's not talk about the... Let's not talk about the policies. Let's just create this mythical notion of a devilish Hillary Clinton. And I feel like we we should be fair to horror movies because they also perpetuate that same idea. Like, you, you see a lot of women who um, have had sex in these horror movies and they turn out to be, like, the, the main monster. Or... Um, you can also see a bunch of these, like, especially slasher movies where it's just, like, this dude or person who goes around doing killing sprees and it's portrayed to be, like, a result of a mental illness. So it stere- unfairly stereotypes people with mental illnesses as well, especially even th- even objectively good movie oh, there's no such thing as an objectively good movie but a technically good movie like split for example still goes so far as to stigmatize um people with multiple personality disorder mm. yeah and also yeah. even like and also even entire cultures can get stereotyped we were talking about dracula earlier and the thing about dracula is he is so coded to be Eastern or like Turkish, something like that, because he speaks with that accent that you get from Eastern Europe or like children of the night. Um, and also the, there are some straight up like analogies, not even analogies, but depictions of harems from the Middle East, for example, or in Islamic culture. Um, and it's portrayed and associated with demonic things. So, and immoral things as well. So, like, just the notion of having, like, a scary movie about a monster, but the the very things that make them monstrous is their place in a context that is distinctly non-Western creates those harmful stereotypes as well in the same way that politicians use the same wording, the same language, the same mythologizing of diff- of the other in order to create discrimination. So you could say on one hand that metaphors are effective, especially if you look at the case of politicians that are able to reduce people into tidbits and reduce them into random metaphors and random stereotypes. But you could also say this is the reason it's not effective. 
because if it can be used that easily and abused that easily, then are you really representing something the same way it would want to be represented? Are you representing the issue in its fullest form? I would say that horror movies are good in portraying problems sometimes, yes, but they cannot stand alone because obviously the people who are watching that also need to have context. And I guess this brings us to the problem of using entertainment in general to talk about social issues. My arguments for and against it um, are quite a few because on one hand, I do recognize entertainment is a way to reach out to people who otherwise would not be interested in knowing about any topic at all. For example, I think a lot of people, when they were introduced to Godzilla for the first time, were also introduced to the atrocities that Japan had had to go through for the first time as well. So it was like an educational experience for them. But on the other hand, you could say that because it's through entertainment, a lot of people won't understand When I was a kid and I saw Godzilla, I didn't know it was a metaphor for nuclear war. I thought it was just a big monster, a big lizard that came from the ocean suddenly and that I needed to be afraid. And I've been afraid of Japan ever since until I was old enough to realize it wasn't a true thing and giant lizards don't exist. Though I'm still skeptical, they probably do exist. I mean, they did exist. Dinosaurs were a thing. Don't, don't at me. Godzilla could be real, for all you know. Stuff like that. Okay, Nina. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, But, yeah. So, that's the for and against of entertainment. But, you could also argue that because it's so entertaining, you're kind of undermining the issue. Like, there's a fine line between something that is sufficiently entertaining that it's educational, or something that is just entertaining and then they tried to be educational after and i feel like in recent years a lot of horror movies have lost touch with the fact that horror is supposed to be a subversion of a genre or is supposed to be a subversion of fear and they 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 just straight up use like very cheap tricks my for example my haters my haters the 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 trailer i hate the most is the nun trailer have you seen that on youtube the one that just it's just like a few seconds and it jump scares you no <laughs> because like the we're talking about the nun from conjuring 2 right yeah yeah cuz like i saw that they were going to make a, a movie about the nun and i was like no this isn't going to work mhm mhm yeah but basically they tried to make it a thing so it's really just like a money grabbing scheme at this point like anything they saw that people got scared of they're gonna make a franchise out of it like final destination was like how many movies was that even saw it it had good intentions at the beginning but when people saw they could cash in on it it just became overdone oh and the purge the purge was very fascinating as a social experiment i remember debate motions were being made about it all the time and suddenly there was like purge election night or purge something something. I don't know, the other purges. But, you know, like, the metaphor isn't that clever anymore. Like, you're not even trying at this point. Yeah, although, like, the more... The more that this world goes to shit, the more I go, like, man, this feels like the purge. Like, this feels like the purge, but only if you're rich and powerful already. 
So, mm. I suppose, if we're gonna live in a purge world anyway, why don't we democrat... Like, why don't we make it a democratic purge? Like, What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, like, if... If the rich, the powerful, the government officials, if they can break laws with no consequence to them anyway, we're basically living in a purge world except only half of the population. Not even half the population. Only 1% of the population get the benefits, I suppose, quote-unquote, benefits of the purge. Why can't we just let everyone do the purge so we can finally feel like... We can finally feel like Kiko. We can finally feel like people in Duterte's cabinet. So I, I think I think that's another interesting part of it, right? Like, ha- has the political climate affected your view of horror movies? Has it made you like horror movies more? Has it made you like horror movies less? Because personally, I have started liking horror movies less because I'm a political science major and every day in my course, at least when I was in college, felt like living in a horror movie simulation where I had to understand why all the horrors was happening around me. And I guess I got really tired of it. I got, like, it It was just oversaturated um, in my head. And I, I couldn't get rid of images that I didn't want to know. Um, political realities that I would have been happier not being exposed to. Things that I would have been glad not to have better understandings of. Like how our political system got to be as corrupt as it is now. So horror movies feel a little bit redundant to me because they're just telling me things I already know in a fashion that is meant to shock me, I guess, even if there's no more added value to me. At least in my experience, actually, I ended up liking horror movies a bit more because at least in those movies, there's a sense that there is a way out. Like, you, the horror ends... The good guys probably end up winning. Or even if it's like a structural thing that you can't really like destroy in like a movie. For example, in in a zombie apocalypse movie, you don't watch it and end up wanting, ooh, I hope at at the end we get to dismantle Like, this entire system of, like, the zombie apocalypse and, like, everything is cured, right? If it's a societal ill, a lot of these movies are more about, like, the smaller victories that you can have during these really bad times. So I feel like there is some value to me. There is some comfort in feeling like even if it's the dark times, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. the dark times... um there are still ways for you to get very small victories. Um, and even when it's about things that you literally cannot win against, literally you can't um, run away from, for example, like um, mental illness and depression, like in the Babadook, where they weren't able to destroy the monster, right? But they learned how to live with it. I think that that gives me like a tremendous amount of relief as well. Um, and a lot of it, to be honest, the reason why I even go back to the really old the the really old monster movies about Dracula, even though it's problematic, is because just the idea that you know there are things that seem more absurd, like this is explicitly monstrous, 
um, that gives me some relief. Like the idea that you can pinpoint evil and sort of find a way to expunge it. It's completely unrealistic. It's a fantasy, but as J.R.R. Tolkien said, for adults, they may not know it, but they really need those fantasies sometimes. I guess. I guess that makes sense. It's just, I'm not of that view. Or, uh, I don't know. I- I'm more of a realist and a very pessimistic person. I think that's not a surprise to anyone, nor is it a surprise to you. So needing something like that just feels, um, I guess, unnecessary. But I don't want to offend anyone. So I-, I would say it's just not for me. It's really not for me. Um, if I want to learn about ills of society, I'd rather read about it. I'd rather watch documentaries about it. I feel like hiding it behind a lot of fluff sure makes it entertaining, but reduces the amount of information I actually get to have in the two hours. So I guess I'm just no fun. I, yeah. I'd rather watch Scooby-Doo and stuff yeah. like that than, than scare myself when I have to sleep alone in a room with a really huge bed um, that that ghosts can sleep with me on, right? So that's yeah. just my preference of things. Yeah, but also I feel like... Like, obviously I know that I can just read about these things. But I think it's different when I'm put into a position where I can sort of have more experiential connections to the things that I'm reading about. Because I think, obviously, um, if it's about matter-loading, if this episode was about matter-loading, we can say that you can matter-load using movies, but we'll obviously say that this is not the only way to do it, nor should you rely only on movies to matter-load. Yeah, but, like, we also have to realize that not everyone is... Not everyone's, like, a debater who is interested in matter-loading those things, but they are interested in our experiences, like the ones that they would get when they enter a theater and watch a scary movie, even though a lot of the time they do it uncritically. Um, Yun, I I think that I agree with you. Entertainment sort of makes makes it so that it becomes very cookie-cutter, like mm. let's optimize the the entertainment value of this. So they're they're gonna get like Chris Aquino or I I and then there's just a bunch of Philippine um Philippine ghost story book vibes that you're gonna get from it. Like Shake Rattle and Roll 35 or something like that, where it's the same movie over and over again with like different like some tweaks or some moving around of some archetypes and whatnot but i also feel like even those things that you might think are cheap there's still some ideology behind it because even if it's cheap there's still an underlying reason why people find it scary and for me the the idea of like that's why i'm also really interested in like the sound design of um, horror movies it's because like it's very subconscious but it's big in ideology anyway so you watch things like hmm do you remember the um, 
I, I had you watch this, but the sideways video about how music makes you sad. Yeah. Um, where music that makes you sad is actually like what Pixar does is it gets really happy music, it plays it in the very beginning, and then it plays that same music in sad scenes. So you get to recontextualize the happy music in relation to a situation wherein the happy times are gone. So the in the same way, I feel like when I listen to um the soundtracks or like the scores of scary movies, I feel like there is some ideology. There is a story that's being told to me like through the different parts of this piece of entertainment that while is generally made for mass consumption is still deeper than you might think. I I don't want people to think that I really just hate like how people make and I cannot appreciate art. Like obviously as a disclaimer, like I do appreciate horror films and how they're created and the effort that goes behind it. As I just keep saying, it's just not for me as a genre. It used to be, but then I outgrew it. I guess as social realities have become horror to me in real life, and I've had to face a lot of the very stereotypical flasher, slasher stereotypes. I'd rather not encounter them if I had the choice, you know. I guess as a woman, and just as a very tired person in society, yeah. that's the case. Yeah. So I guess our, our main conclusion here would be that there is obviously value in horror films, especially if you try to dissect them and look at the social issues that they could be representing. However, you need to be critical that you are not overanalyzing films you watch or underanalyzing them to just see like stereotypes when they could be implying other things. So movie watching is a critical exercise as well. That's something Kyle and I are still training in. That's something we enjoy doing when we're watching things. So hopefully you can also apply that as a skill. And I guess in the end, like understand that fear is a tool. Metaphors are a tool. So it might not be for me, for example, or if you're listening to this and you're also not a fan of the genre, it might not be for you. But it doesn't mean it has no use in society it doesn't mean that it's not something we should constantly keep an eye out for. So that's it for this episode of Debatable. Um, do you have any last words? Or That sounds like a threat, <laughs> like I'm well. about to kill you. Do you have any anything else you want to add as a conclusion? As a conclusion, I think that people should sign up for Debatable Open. <laughs> very good conclusion people should sign up to debatable open uh, yeah that's it <laughs> that's it thanks for listening we'll see you in the next episode bye 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 <laughs>